when, uh, when I was 15 years old, um, I was a dihydrogen oxide specialist for my football team. Um, and those of you who know anything about how that stuff works, I was an H2O specialist for our football team, which means I was the water boy. Um, why is that funny? I don't, I'm just kidding. Um, but I was a water boy on the football team, and, and I was actually pretty good at it. Like, my coach was like, look, if you keep at this, like, you can get a scholarship. It was like I was a legit part of the team. Um, so I was important, right? Because it doesn't matter how good the quarterback is, if he doesn't have any water, like, he can't do anything. And so I was an integral part of the football team. And so this one day after practice, uh, this uh, youth minister who, who uh, always came and spent time with the football team, he invited the whole football team, about 30 to 40 players, to come to his church the following Sunday uh, for a special service and um, a free spaghetti lunch. Um, spaghetti lunches are awesome, aren't they? Uh, they are. Actually, in a couple weeks, like I said, we're going to have one. Uh, and if you want to take part in that... If you want to take part in that, you buy a ticket from one of our students. But anyways, uh, oh, that was just random, wasn't it? Um, so they were, having, they were having the whole football team over uh, for uh, lunch, and, and it was uh, this great thing. And so I went home, and, and I told my mom I wanted to go to church, which are words that were never said in my house growing up. And uh, that was because we didn't grow up in church. Uh, I went to church maybe three or four times uh, in my whole life. Uh, the first time, I think I fell asleep. The second time, they awkwardly called me through the front. It was really weird. Um, and then the third time, it was like a random VBS. And so I'd only been to church a few times in my whole life. And so the fact that I came home and I was like, Mom, I want to go to church was really weird. And so I went and I put on my, uh, my $5 Faded Glory uh, bright yellow polo shirt with my uh, cargo khakis that I wore every day of my first semester at Thorsby High School where I went, which I don't know why my mom let me do that. Um, and, and I had my Nike shoes on. So my style was just as good then as it is now. <laughs> and so um, I, went to, I went up. I remember I walked in. And I was expecting, like, the whole football team to be there, right? Because he invited everybody. But I walk in, and there was only two football players there with their families. And, and so I walked in, and I sat down, sat through the service. It was pretty good. Um, the spaghetti was really good. Um, and I went home. Uh, I went home, and I told my mom I want to go back. So I started going to church. Uh, started participating. A couple weeks in, my mom starts going with me. Uh, another couple weeks uh, in, um, this guy is preaching hellfire and brimstone, and I come to know the Lord, and my mom comes to know the Lord, and it's awesome. And then a few weeks go by, one of my friends comes to know the Lord, another month goes by, another friend, another month, another friend. And I was like, man, this is how, this is how the Christian life goes. Every month, there's going to be people coming to know the Lord. And that's really how the Lord worked for a long time uh, in my life. Um, and so with that being said, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 40. As you're turning there, uh, I want to kind of give a review of what's going on. Uh, before this, uh, Jesus has been doing a lot of miraculous things. He's been healing people. Um, he's been walking on the water, calming storms. He's been doing a lot of crazy stuff. And most of the stuff that he was doing was in one Jewish community. But right before this, Jesus crosses over the sea, 
And he goes to another community where there's a demon-possessed man. Jesus casts out the demons. The demons go into some pigs and they jump off a cliff. That's a whole nother message for a whole nother day. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, but now, the passage that we're going to be in today, Jesus is coming back from that other town. And he's coming back. And naturally, people have heard about this Jewish guy who was healing people. And so when he comes back, there's a large crowd of people. Think like Black Friday trying to get into Belk, right? Like think those kind of crowds. Um, and just as aggressive as we're about to see. Um, so I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to go back and see what the Lord has for us in it. So uh, Luke 8, if you're not there, Luke 8, verse 40. Um, it said, uh, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just, just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader in the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were, uh, were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors, and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, uh, Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he, left, he let no one enter with him except for Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying because she is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So she, he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for Jesus, for what he did on the cross for us. God, thank you so much for Jesus and these stories that we hear about him about how he lived his life. And God, I pray that we take seriously the challenge that that gives us. That, God, we do everything we can to live our life the way Jesus did. So, God, I pray for all of us, whether we're someone that is sick in need of a healer, God, God whether we're someone that is healed that are overlooking people, God, I pray that you change our lives this morning. God, I pray that not a single word that I say is from me, but all of it is from you. God, I pray that you lead us this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have this story of, of Jesus returning to this town that he had been in. And when he was returning, there was this huge, huge crowd of people. And, and, and I can imagine him getting out of the boat and then 
this Jewish leader, we have his name, his name is Jairus, comes up and he falls on his face in front of Jesus and says, my daughter is sick, she's going to die. My only daughter, who's 12 years old, is going to die. Will you come save her? And then it says that, that Jesus started walking. Now, what I want you to do is, let's put ourselves in, in, in Jairus' feet, right? We can't do that because he's no longer around, but just imagine that we could. Let's put ourselves in his feet, and you have a 12-year-old daughter who is dying, and, and you are a rich person. You, you can afford any kind of medication that you can get, and he has tried everything. And your last hope is this Jewish guy that you've heard was able to do miracles. And you tell him, my daughter is dying. Let's go. And then he starts walking. Imagine how much anxiety you may have knowing that your daughter doesn't have much longer to live. Imagine how he felt seeing Jesus walk. Not run, but walk. So imagine how he's feeling during all of this as we move on in this story. Almost immediately we're introduced to this other woman who is not named. And she has had an illness for 12 years that has caused her to bleed. We don't know what kind of illness it is. We don't know any of those details. We just know for 12 years she had an illness that caused her to bleed. And she tried everything. Like, she went to every doctor. She tried everything. Like, if there were essential oils back then, she tried it. Like, she did everything that she could to be healed. And, and something to know, in, in the Jewish community, women were considered a class below men. And in the Jewish community, if someone was bleeding, they were considered unclean. And so for 12 years, this woman has been unclean because she has this disease that causes her to bleed. And so since she was unclean for 12 years, she has not been able to have physical contact with anybody. Not a hug, not a high five, not that weird little chicken wing thing that you do, nothing. She was not able to come in contact with anybody for 12 years. She has spent all the money that she had trying to be healed. If she had any family, they disowned her. In this community, she was considered almost less than human. She was not even worth the time of day. And so we have this story about this woman coming up and pushing through this crowd to get to Jesus. Now, this crowd was insane. They use a Greek word here that means it was suffocating. Like, the one thing that I think about is being on public transportation in Brazil during the World Cup, right? You can't move. Like, you, you literally, like, if you move, you're going to punch somebody in the face kind of thing. And, and so Jesus is in this situation where everybody's around him, and it's almost suffocating for him. And this woman fought through the crowd in order to get to Jesus. And now imagine her, the way she felt. Put yourself in her shoes. For 12 years, she was treated as an outcast in her community. For 12 years, she was considered less than human. And she heard about this Jewish guy who was able to do miracles. And she took a risk by pushing herself through that crowd in order to get to Jesus. 
And she was so afraid of, of touching someone that she snuck up behind Jesus. And Jesus was wearing a robe that people during this time would wear all the time. And, and on these robes, there were tassels. Like, think about somebody graduating. It was like a tassel on his robe. And this woman came up from behind Jesus, and she reached out, and she touched the robe. And miraculously, after 12 years of trying everything, spending all her money on being healed, she is finally healed by Jesus. And then Jesus, in my opinion, I may be wrong, asked one of the silliest questions I've ever read in the Bible. Because Jesus is literally surrounded by everybody, and he stops, and he says, who touched me? Like, can you imagine being one of the disciples? They're like, okay, Jesus, you've done a lot of stuff. Like, you've cast out demons, you've calmed the storm, you, you've resurrected people. Like, maybe you're a little bit tired. What do you mean somebody touched you? Right? And so the disciples are looking around, and they're like, well, I didn't touch you. And then Peter finally says it. Lord, you were being hemmed in. Like, there's no way for you to know who touched you. And then Jesus was like, no, somebody touched me. I have felt power leave me. And, and some commentators believe at that time, Jesus was staring directly at the woman that had been healed. So imagine how she felt. Lowest of lows, just being healed. And now she's being confronted by Jesus. And so immediately the woman being scared fell in front of Jesus and told him what happened. And in a very public way, she explained how for 12 years she was sick. For 12 years there was no hope. For 12 years there was no joy in her life. But this Jesus, this Jewish guy, saved her. This Jewish guy saved her. And, and follow me on this. So normally in that culture, if an unclean person touched a clean person, it would cause them to be unclean. Like think about if you're working at Chick-fil-A. There's always a Chick-fil-A story, guys. Uh, that is my life. Uh, every morning, 545, that's where I am. Um, but imagine at Chick-fil-A if... if I am bagging stuff up front, right? I'm putting all the delicious Chick-fil-A sandwiches that you can't get today in a bag. Um, and then I go back, and one of my buddies is breading chicken, which is the raw chicken with the batter and all that gross stuff. And I give him a high five, right? And then I'll walk back up front. I would never do this. Um, but I'll walk back up front, and I'll start bagging again. Would you want to eat any of that food that I was touching? No, it's delicious, and it's really tempting to be like, Salmonella, chicken sandwich, it's worth it, right? It's worth the risk. Um, but everything that I touched from that point on until I was made clean would be unclean. And so it was the very same thing for her. And so in this community, in this, in this, um, in this belief system, her touching Jesus would make Jesus unclean. But Jesus isn't a normal Jewish guy, if you didn't know that. And he flips the strips. No longer is it if an unclean person touches a clean person, they're, the clean person is made unclean. No. The woman being unclean, touching Jesus, made her clean. And for the first time in history, someone was able to make somebody clean. 
That made sense in the first service. And I just realized, it's, just, it's like three sentences that didn't make any sense. Basically, because the woman touched Jesus, she was made clean when normally it would have been the other way around. All right, let's just move on. Uh, but here's the really cool thing is, that was a weird sentence too. I'm struggling up here. Here we are, right here, back to the notes. Jesus knew he had been touched. He was aware of this woman when all other people were ignoring her. He was aware of her. Even though he was busy trying to get to this little girl, he was aware of her. Imagine being the father in this situation, right? Your 12-year-old daughter is sick, and Jesus is walking, taking his time to get to your house. And then he stops, and he's helping this, this, this woman who, who has been sick for 12 years. Why is he even worried about her? My daughter is sick. Imagine how he felt. And during all of this, uh, a person from uh, Jairus' house comes, and, and he comes up to Jairus, and, and he says, Jairus, your daughter has died. Leave the teacher alone. And then Jesus heard that and said, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be saved. One of the things that I want you guys to get out of this, because this is something that I got out of this, is that even though Jesus was looking forward to what he was going to do, he took the time to take care of a situation that other people would ignore. In 1973, uh, there was a study done at a seminary. Uh, and it's called the Good Samaritan Study. You may have heard it. Uh, but basically, these researchers got these group of students together. And, and they assigned them either a generic random topic or they assigned them uh, a topic about the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know what the Good Samaritan is, it's a story in the Bible uh, where this guy is heading back from uh, Jerusalem. He's jumped. He's mugged. He's left on the side of the road to die. And religious leader after religious leader after religious leader ignore him and walk by him. They don't, they don't, they don't try to help him. But then a Samaritan, which is not a good person at all, a Samaritan sees a guy that is hurt and helps him and, and pays for all of his medical bills and everything. And so these students were told either, hey, you're going to give a presentation on a random topic or you're going to give a presentation on the good Samaritan. And they were told, they were in one building, they were told, hey, you had to go to this other building to give this presentation. And, and so what they were told, some, half of them were told, hey, uh, you're running late, you need to hurry to get over to this other building to give this presentation. And the other half were said, look, you have plenty of time, but just go ahead and head over there. And on their way, there was this actor laying in an alleyway, acting like he was beat up, acting like he was hurt, acting like he was mugged. And whenever the person walked by, he would yell out and he would cough and he would make a lot of noises. And so the study was researching which students would stop and help the person that was hurt. And the study found out that it didn't matter what topic the students were talking on, whether it was a, just a random topic or the topic of the Good Samaritan, 
It didn't even matter if they were Christians or not. The one determining factor on if these students stopped was the amount of time they had to get to the other building. The study said this, quote, there was no correlation between religious types and helping behavior. Jesus in this story was, was being, I'm imagining, being rushed to go and see this girl. And the temptation for all of us is, is to ignore everything around us whenever we're in a hurry. Whenever we have places to go, whenever we have things to do, we ignore other things around us. But Jesus, being Jesus, knew that this girl who nobody else looked at was worth spending time on. And one phrase keeps coming to me, kept coming to me whenever I was preparing this. Sometimes we look so forward to what God is going to do that we miss what God is already doing. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to serve someone because we are looking so far ahead. And so I do want to challenge you this morning to not miss out what God is doing in your life because you're looking so forward to what you want him to do in the future. Jesus was willing to spend time with this person who was considered less than a person. And so we cannot ignore people because of the way they look or because of their status in the community or because we're in such a hurry. We have to take time to help people and to serve them. And so... Uh, the story here transitions from the woman who, who was considered less than a person that was healed back to the little girl who, had been, who was 12 years old and, and she had died. And she had legitimately died. Like, it wasn't like she was faking it. Like, she was legit dead. And, and it says that Peter, John, James, and the, and the girl's parents came to the house and outside the house, they had these, uh, back during this time, and I hope that my family doesn't have to do this for me, they would hire people to act like they were sad that somebody died. And, and so you would, go up to, you would go up to the house, and there were literally people like crying and wailing, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe she's gone. Like all these things, right? And they're just faking it. And like I said, I hope there's enough people sad about me dying that uh, we don't have to hire anybody to act like it. And so Jesus walks up, and he sees these people faking, crying, all this stuff. And he says, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. And all of a sudden, these people who were crying, weeping, all this stuff, they started laughing at Jesus. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So she was, like, legitimately dead, not faking it, legit dead. And so it says that Jesus took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. And it said her spirit returned and she got up at once. And then it goes on to say that Jesus instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So in this story, we have two parallels, two situations that are different, but yet they're the same. You have Jairus, um, Jairus, sorry. Jairus come in a very public way and call out to Jesus to heal his daughter. You have the woman in a very private way sneak up behind Jesus and touch him. 
We have the woman being healed in a very public way so that she could tell everybody what happened to her. We have the little girl being healed in a private way and told not to tell anyone. We have a woman who for 12 years has been sick. We have a girl that is 12 years old. These stories are different, but yet they are the same. Jesus didn't care about socioeconomic status. He didn't care about uh, whether they were elite or poor. He didn't care uh, if it was a Jewish man or a Jewish woman. He didn't care about their race. He didn't care about if they were clean or not. He didn't care about anything of the, any of those things. He just cared about them. He just cared about that one person. And so the whole point of this Who's Your One campaign that I'm sure you guys have heard plenty about, the whole point of this is that we don't ignore anybody, that we don't overlook anybody, that we don't take small amounts of people and take them for granted. Um, it's been 10 years since that spaghetti lunch, which we're having another one in two weeks if you didn't know. Um, but it's been 10 years since that spaghetti lunch that, that I started going to church, um, which makes me feel old. He's not paying attention. If he was paying attention, he'd probably make a joke about it. Um, but um, it's been 10 years since I went to that church, and, and I've talked to my youth minister since, and, and he told me the story about how he told his church to expect about 20 to 25 families at this church event how he got all this spaghetti together, hoping that people would come to this event. And he told me how disappointed he was that only three students came. And he's told me that God taught him a lesson from that, that all it takes is one person. And if it wasn't for that one youth minister being faithful to me, that one youth minister being faithful to God, that one youth minister discipling me in Christ, I would not be standing here today. I would not be here today if it wasn't for that one person in your life who took time out of their day, took time out of their schedule to tell you about Jesus. You wouldn't be here today. We can never overlook the one to see the group. We can never overlook one individual that we may, we may feel like they're too far gone. We may feel like there's no hope. We may feel like there's nothing that we can do. We can never overlook the one. Because Jesus never overlooked anyone. We cannot be in such a rush in our lives to get to the end to get to the goal. We cannot be sitting here on Sunday thinking about Friday. We have to slow down. We have to care about people. Jesus didn't care about their status. He just cared that they needed to be healed. They needed help. So this is, this is my invitation for all of us. Um, maybe you're sitting here and, and you're sick. They're, they're, you don't have a relationship with God at all. You don't even believe that he's real. My challenge to you is to consider Jesus. Because a lot like that song that we sung earlier, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. He takes one silly-looking 15-year-old 
and he changes. It had nothing to do with me. He changes the life of a whole family and a whole group of friends. Jesus changes everything. So I want to invite you to come and be healed. Come and find hope. Come and find joy in Jesus. And for those of us who are rushing, for those of us who, who our work week is so crazy, our, our children are crazy, like seriously, we don't understand how crazy they are. Like this one hour a week that you're in here, you're like, get to breathe, right? For those of us who are rushing around, I want to challenge you to slow down. Look at people around you. Consider people around you and what God can do through you with them. And then finally, I do want to challenge you. I know that Cole challenged you earlier, and, and Eric will challenge you every week, and we'll say this every week. Who is your one? Who is that one person that maybe in 10 years will be standing on a stage in a church you never even are going to hear about? Who is that one person in your life that you can invest in, that you can pray for, that you can share the gospel with? Who is that one? Pray for them. Pray for them. That's my invitation. If you need Jesus, come. If you're rushing, slow down. And then for all of us, pray for that one person that we can impact for the gospel. Because as we see in the story, he can heal anyone. He can save anyone. We can see people go from death to life, from darkness to light. We can see that in Jesus. Pray for your one, no matter how far gone they are. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Um, it, if you want to, uh, you can stand up. We're about to have an invitation, and you can come. This altar is open. The seat that you're in is open. But hopefully, most of all, your heart is open to what the Lord has for you uh, and what he's doing in your life. So I'm going to pray. If you want to stand, you can. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer.